This episode of the Modern Maker Podcast is sponsored by Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a monthly cocktail subscription box that delivers the craft cocktail experience to your home. Think Blue Apron, but for cocktails. Each monthly box arrives with three brand new original recipes created by world-class bartenders, or as Mike likes to call them, mixologists, as well as enough (laughs) ingredients, syrups, bitters, mixers, things like that, for 12 cocktails, or as Ben likes to call it, a good night. Yeah. Four from each recipe, perfect for get-togethers. Each box revolves around one type of liquor, so all three recipes use that same one liquor for all 12 drinks. So you only need to get one bottle, and that makes it all pretty easy. Totally. The box that was curated and sent my way was called Rye Not Canada. And for anybody that loves puns like Chris, you're going to love this box. All three drinks were focused around Canadian rye whiskey, and I want to take the time to focus on one drink particularly, called Leather and Lace. Mm. Now, this is a new take on one of my favorite drinks, an old-fashioned. Infused with cinnamon and spiced tamarind syrup, it was fantastic. I also like a good old-fashioned, but I got the rum box, but... Guess what? There was an a La Trava Old Fashioned, which was a rum-based drink where you use two ounces of rum, this cafecito syrup, which is a little bit coffee-flavored, uh, four dashes, not drops, of chocolate bitters, a spritz of orange oil, and then you garnish with a coffee bean. And what I like about this is this is way fancier than what I would normally go, but it challenges me to learn a little bit more about mixology, which makes me a better host. So it's a really cool subscription service if you like to entertain, as we do at Maker Ranch. And it just lets you step your game up a little bit, and it lays it all out. So you don't have to like, you know, look up something, figure it all out, go get all these weird ingredients, and it everything's all sort of packaged together. And one thing I'll say about the instruction cards, they're these really nice cards, so you'll want to keep them. In fact, I'm thinking about doing a bar cart where I'd make a little a little tray or a slot just for these uh, really nice, thick, well-printed instruction cards. Nice. That's a good idea. And if you are also interested in stepping up your mixology game, please visit shakerandspoon.com forward slash modern maker for $20 off of your first subscription. And if you do do this, hit us up on Instagram. We want to see the drinks you're making. Yeah, totally. And one more time, that's shakerandspoon.com forward slash modern maker for $20 off. Cheers. Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, March 14th, otherwise known as... I'm going to see if you guys can guess what today is. March 14th, 314, ringing any bells, 3.14... Pie, pie day, it's pie day. It's pie day, it's pie day. there he is. Mike, you get a piece of pie for winning. Thanks, man. What kind of pie do y'all like? I, I'll just, I'll hop into this real quick. Do I'm it. a pecan pie man, and I don't think there's really <laughs> any reason to eat any other type of pie. I've heard that a cheesecake is actually considered a pie, even though it's got cake right there in the name. It does so make if sense. It's, if it's eligible, I'll take cheesecake. We'll take it only on, only on pie day. We're going to allow it. I like all the pies. They're all good. Way to go, I'll, I'll go. I'll go contrarian. How about a turkey pot pie? 
Oh, well, chicken is more uh, normal. Yeah, it is. I don't know, well, but I was just going to go. I do love them. I do love them. Yeah, awesome. I do love right. any any sort of meats within a pie crust is good. Shepherds, you name it. Yep, exactly. All right, so all it's right. been a while since we've all been together. Last week, yeah. last week was the episode that we released with Ben and Paul Jackman, which was really great. And since then, he has completed his absurd, epoxy, gigantic screwdriver project. That was really awesome. So shout out to Paul Jackman. You can find him on Instagram at JackmanWorks. But yes. what's up with you guys? Well, uh, traveling. I was in D.C. and then L.A. So it's been... It's been a uh, a lot of traveling so far. Uh, there was Workbench Con. Then I had to give a, a talk at a YouTube pop-up space, which was interesting. They wanted to create an event where uh, sort of policy people uh, could sort of interact with YouTubers and see a different side. You know, a, a lot of people in D.C. kind of associate YouTube as, you know, video game videos and kind of the, the more pop culture you know stuff that youtube is known for and aren't always aware that there's a lot of like productive instructive communities around particular topics where a lot of great educational and information content is getting published so that was a lot of fun i was with uh on a panel with two other uh creators that are totally outside the maker uh community one guy that does a lot of sort of sneaker content and uh, stuff like that and you know now we're talking about doing a a collab on some sort of really cool sneaker gallery slash sneaker storage, which could be fun. It's actually a, an idea that me and Mike had kicked around a little bit. And yeah, I want to do something like that too. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's 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 something there, right? Because uh, people that collect sneakers are really into it. It's a passionate community. They like to build content around it, and you know the storage is interesting because you want to keep dust and stuff like that off of them. But then if these are also proud possessions, uh, they also might be something you really want to display. So I think there's a lot of ways we can go with it. I think a modular box where it can store them and keep dust off them, but also can stack on its side to work as shelves. Um, I thought that was sort of an interesting idea. I think. So I've got uh, a question, and I don't mean to cut you off. But so so then I, I have to think that there's this type of project splits into two areas there's the utility area and then there's the i really like shoes and want them to sh- and want to show them off because if it was strictly utility you would just go to walmart and you would pick up a shoe organizer or a shoe rack or something like that so how do you how do you one take the elements of like utility and keep them keep them right. important but then bring out that aspect of like I'm a collector this is what's important to me that that was the exact same initial sort of breakdown that I had and mm. the, you know the immediate sort of way that I'm looking for the the ideas is how do I combine both and obviously there'll be a preference on one more the other I'll probably mm-hmm. lead on uh, so I think there's like. If you were if you were to pr- uh, put a preference on the really efficient archiving and protecting, I would think of it more like a library system where you almost build like a file cabinet for shoes, like organized by who makes them. Yeah. Or like what? Exactly, that might be like the perfect system for somebody that's like a completist, right? That wants every single Jordan ever produced and wants them in order, and you know, so it's like. A, they, they would really enjoy putting the label on that drawer or something or whatever the compartment is. So it's really archived, but maybe not so much displaying them 
which takes up more space. It's it's really about the efficient archiving system, and and yep. about being a completionist. The the other way I was thinking of it uh, was how do you marry display with storage? Um, and so the first thing I thought was that sort of modular box thing, but then I started thinking, well, what what's a way you could do it with maybe ready mades? And so I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe I'll get some picture frames of a bunch of different sizes, right? So it already has the glass, like a white picture frame uh, with like matting even, so it has a little bit of border. And then use those, you know, put some heavy-duty magnets in them and then make simple boxes so that they go on it, right? So it's like a bunch of plywood boxes on their side to make shelves, but each one has this like sort of glass picture frame uh, thing. So if you stack them all up on the wall, it. it looks like a whole bunch of picture frames, <laughs> thick picture frames with shoes in them. And you have to put a little pedestal inside it so the shoe's raised up so you see them perfectly. Uh, but then you have to figure out lighting and all that kind of stuff as well. But uh, Yeah, that would look really good with just like 15 pairs of really dope shoes, but then the one pairs of shoes that you use to build the project, and they're all like ugly and rough because everybody, <laughs> even if they like shoes, has that one pair of shoes. Right. For me, it would be challenging because it would be like 20 pairs of Vans. <laughs> yeah. Just in various <laughs> stages. And they progressively I'm, keep getting in worse shape. I know. Well, it's it's funny, right? I'm, I'm looking at my, my floor right now, and there's, there's three pairs of Vans, and they're just like the evolution of distress. Like one is like, oh, these are the ones I use for painting. They have like holes in them and they're completely worn out. One is like my everyday yeah. ones that are medium. And then one is like the fancy pair. But they're all the exact Dress same. Vans. The exact same color. <laughs> these are my going out vans. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Chris? What would you do? Like what, what since, you're, since you enjoy sneakers and whatnot. Yeah, I've actually had a couple ideas for things that I want to work on. So one of them... The, the one that I would say is most flushed out at this point was right now in our bedroom, I built a bed that was before I was on YouTube. And I've always wanted to like kind of rebuild this bed and make it into a video project. So pretty much what it is, is um, along the, the two sides, it's a platform bed. And along the two sides, there's just like a huge amount of storage that yeah. as luck would have it, we use mostly for shoes. And then along the front of the bed, there's a big pullout drawer that we keep a bunch of like extra blankets and that kind of stuff in. So I thought what might be cool would be to rebuild it, but make the doors. So instead of just being storage, have it be storage slash display. So you wouldn't just like cram shoes in there. You'd actually have them in there nicely, but basically make the door out of like plexiglass or something. So it's see-through and then put a mirror as the back panel and then put like some Mm. kind of like led lighting above or something so that like, and and keep it dark, but then have it where there's just like a switch that you can throw on and be like, shoes (laughs) but have like dividers so every shoe or every pair i have them all set up nicely yeah probably just pick like yeah pick like five pairs that like you want to display at any one time and and those can live in that that one compartment so not the whole bed would be like that just like maybe half of one side of the bed or something there's just like one display area within it yeah Um, other than that less flushed out it was something that i thought about having maybe in kind of my backdrop once i get this whole office space renovated. It's actually funny. I noticed, so you guys ever watched the, um, I think it's just called complex, but like where they'll have like Mike Montgomery goes <laughs> sneaker shopping at complex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, but, I think it's called sneaker shopping with complex. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. They actually have like all just wall control panels. I don't know if you guys have ever yeah, noticed yeah. that, but I yeah, really it's just like, that's yeah, funny. It's, it's just like 50 wall control panels. And I was talking to the wall control guys and he's like, yeah, there's apparently there's like some really popular sneaker shoe 
uh, YouTube channel or what did I say? Sneaker shoe? Yeah, <laughs> you did. Some popular <laughs> sneaker shoe footwear YouTube channel that uh-huh. uses our, our things. I was like, oh yeah, Complex. And I sent them a screenshot and they're like, yeah, that's it. We've been looking for it. That's hilarious. Like, you know what? Five free panels for me for being yeah. able to help you guys out. Yeah. I feel like if I were to do any project around that and I guess the reason is because for one, I'm hard on shoes and I never have very many pairs of shoes at a time. I just buy mm-hmm. a couple pairs and then wear them until they're dead and then buy a couple uh-huh. more, except Dead except stock. for that one pair of really rough shoes that always sticks around. But I still feel like there's got to be some good projects around that, even if it is strictly for utility's sake, because you go to you go to Walmart or you go to Home Depot or Target and in their organization section, they've got five different options for storing shoes, whether it's under bed storage or on the back of a door. So the need has to be there. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so much shelf space dedicated to it. So I think it's something a lot of people could benefit from. And I think those are the type of projects that, at least for the majority of times, are what get people into building. It's either I need a coffee table or I need to store something. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that would that should be something we all focus on a little bit more. Is some good, trendy but unique organization. Well, you know what? Kind of a, an aside to what we're talking about, but like, if just take any passion that somebody could have. So shoes or video games or those are the only two. But um, whatever you're into, and like you wanted to make up some kind of display wall. I think that a lot of people's go to would be like, oh, I'm gonna just have like 50 things up on this wall. But yeah. in my head, it's like, eh, choose like the seven coolest things right. and put mm. those up and then that's going to actually look nicer because it's not just like overwhelming to somebody looking at it. You can actually look at each thing and digest that's it. That's how museums do it often or, or galleries. They'll have an archive or storage in the back and then they rotate out like a, a, a curated collection that creates a, a distinct experience that a visitor yeah. can come and get to. So it's not just here's everything I have. It's like a visual yeah, playlist. So- That'd be a kind of a cool way to think about it. Like if it was a display wall of whatever to be like, have it where it's part utility, part display. And then the person can just like change it out every month or, you know, if particular people are coming over that they want to impress with something or whatever the, whatever the reason might be. Yeah. Or with the season. Yeah. Here's all my Christmas shoes. Yeah. It's the boot display this month. Next month. It's, (laughs) I don't know, the flip flop display, depending on (laughs) I got them all. But let's see. Other than that, uh, going away from shoes, what I've been doing. So I, I've been working on, I don't think I've talked about it on here yet, a coffee table where I'm doing another kind of epoxy project. This one, I'm, I'm being very restrained with it. So I'm basically making a coffee table that then I used the X-Carve to like, I, I teased it on Instagram. So there was a bunch of little holes. And what I'm doing is making the shape of California out of like various size dots. And so it's just a small, like maybe 12 inch long uh, shape of California that's like in the lower corner of the tabletop. And it's funny, I can't remember what it's called, but I had a couple people reach out and there's like some kind of phobia that people have when they see like random holes like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something with a T. I can't remember what it's called, but I was totally unaware of that. And then had two people mention me like, oh man, people are going to freak out if they have tryptophobia. Yeah, I had an intern that had that. Uh, It was so weird. Like... Uh, she would freak out if she looked at like certain uh, uh, patterns, <laughs> like Swiss cheese or something. Yeah, it, it had to be. I think it's like it comes from some sort of fear of disease or something like that. I could see that. Like it's like eating flesh away or something. You get this whole pattern. But 
anyway, learned that new in making this project. Um, but what I wanted to do with it was I wanted to make it where there was kind of like a gradient fade in the color of the epoxy to sort of mimic like a sunset look. So I went with like a blue, a purple and an orange. I basically just pulled up like sunset sky and looked at the colors and said, okay, I'll choose these three colors. Yeah. And I think it worked like pretty decent. I I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but what I ended up doing was I just got little cups and I made a, a mixture of my purple, a mixture of my blue and a mixture of my orange. And I poured them like, so then picture California split up into like five vertically Okay. In the top one, I put some blue. In the middle one, I put some purple. And in the bottom one, I put some orange. Then left like those two other spaces that are in between blank. So those would be, if it was a Big Mac, those could be like the two meats. I filled all the breads in and now I've got the two meats left empty. <laughs> and so now I mixed my purple and my blue together and poured that in the top one and then mixed my some of my orange and my purple together and mixed that in the one between it. And then I kind of just did like, a wipe of the whole thing like as if you were like silk screening something and i think it came out like decent like you know it's yeah. uh i, I was expecting like sand back all the extra epoxy that's on yeah. the surface yes yeah, so i was afraid that what would end up happening was that it would mix on the top and i would get this like really nice looking gradient but then you'd sand that all away and it would just be like all the holes just filled in solid colors right. and most of them are filled in solid colors, but there's like just enough like marbling in in the transition areas to kind of like pull off that sort of fade look to it. So, well, I mean, it's like what we were talking about with the shoes. If it's it exactly was like the same. it was, it's being reserved, right? It's not oh. having an absurd amount of marbling or a, like an insane amount of color mixing. Like just having enough that it all flows and you understand the intent. Like yeah, sometimes that's best. Oh yeah, I know. I think that I mean editing yourself i think that's kind of what you're talking about kind of mm-hmm. stepping back a little bit and editing is a really important thing to do when yeah. you're designing sometimes it's kind of at odds with doing things on youtube just because like you want that thumbnail that's going to be crazy looking or whatever but like i always just think about the crayon tables if that crayon river was instead of being two inches wide was eight inches wide i think the table would look way more gimmicky yeah i think so as well Speaking of gimmicks, Mike, what you've been working on? Only gimmicks. I only work on gimmicks. No, speaking of, uh, you know, traveling and whatnot, I spent some time this weekend in Tulsa helping a friend of ours, Rachel Anderson, who is in the process of renovating a beautiful mid-century modern home in a really, really great neighborhood, like I said, in Tulsa. She's got a ton of projects going on. She's completely demoed everything out, has put in utilities, and is now to the point of adding trim and the finishing touches. And in one of the bathrooms, we installed a vertical subway tile backsplash, which was a lot of fun. In fact, I had really never seen a vertical subway tile backsplash at all. So big shout out to Rachel for exposing me to that. And I should mention, you can follow her and find out what she's doing at R Anderson on Instagram. And that's Anderson with E-N, not O-N. But back to where we were, it was a good experience and I learned a lot. As y'all know, I've done a little bit of tiling. In the recent bathroom remodel I did over at my buddy Caleb's, I installed some 12 by 24 inch marble tiles. And that was, it wasn't too tough, I'll be honest. Having such a large format was pretty convenient. It's pretty obvious when tiles that big get out of alignment, but they're relatively easy to keep in alignment and keep square. So that's nice. These small subway tiles, which were three inches by nine inches, were the complete opposite. If the corners didn't line Mm -hmm. up, then that cumulative error would really start happening quick. So 
We took our time, kept everything arranged really nicely, but we didn't use any spacers. That was something I also really wasn't aware you could do and that made for a really flush, clean look, not having those thick grout lines, but just like I was saying earlier, using the spacers and having a little bit more wiggle room is really convenient. But all in all, it came together great. It was an incredibly cold day. I think it was 15 degrees, which made oh, using wow. the tile saw really difficult. Yeah. For those who don't know, you have to add water so that there's a lubricant yeah. so that the blade can cut better. But when it's 15 degrees outside, that water freezes really quickly in the lines if we weren't running the saw for more than 15 minutes or so those lines would freeze up and we wouldn't be able to use the saw until we brought it back inside let it thaw out and then we could go back to cutting but yeah it was fun i don't really spend much time in tulsa so it was great getting the tour was there was there any concern with uh since it was that cold uh installing them all and then having uh when it warms up like a little bit of expansion especially with the no with the when they're butted up against each other yeah that's what i was going to ask about like maybe we need a a pro to answer this but i didn't know you could go with no gaps but if you can what's the what's the value of the gaps so that was something that i didn't know either and granted if you're a tile expert and i'm saying something that's wrong please correct me because i don't want to just say things that are wrong but what one thing that i found by doing that is the benefit of having spacers even if it's a 16th inch spacer you have so much more wiggle room to fix those right. small okay. little errors between tiles. Cause if it's you, less forgiving. Exactly. Because if you have, you know, if you've got that space on every tile and you have to nudge one a 32nd of an inch or a 64th of an inch to help all of your corners line up, no one's ever going to notice that over the grand scheme of things when they, you know, they zoom out and look at it. Um, but when you don't have those spacers, you know, it's just a little tighter tolerances. And to the whole expansion thing, Tiles themselves are pretty stable, right? Like, they're just ceramic. Ceramic doesn't really expand and contract. Um, But the house had heat. Um, So when we applied Mm -hmm. the tiles, it was still, you know, it was cool, but it was still room temperature. Um, It wasn't Mm -hmm. like we were applying the tiles in 15-degree weather. It was just cutting them out in the cold. So, um, so yeah, it was fun. And, yeah, I guess that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I also, I didn't talk about this yet, but... Over the weekend, I did some in-store demos at Rockler. Have either of you guys oh, ever I've done, done those? Oh, I've done a couple. No. Down in, I've done them at Home Depot. Down in not, the great state Rockler. of Texas. Okay. Shout out, nice. Texas. Yeah, I did two of them. I did uh, Torrance on Saturday, and then I did Ontario on Sunday. So this is Monday morning. So just coming in back Canada? from those. But it was a good time. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Make my way up to Canada. No, good old Ontario. The other Ontario, CA, uh-huh. California. Um, no, they were fun, though. Just like, you know. It was like mini version. Actually, a few of the people from WorkbenchCon came out. So like the guy who emceed the whole thing oh, yeah. came out. And like when he walked, I was like, I recognize you. He's like, yeah, I introed you like a couple of weeks <laughs> He's ago. He's like, come on, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those things, you know, you're used to seeing so many people, but like you're, you're like, I know I recognize you, but I can't remember from where. And then like yeah, also yeah, yeah. DIY, winner of the... Uh, the plywood challenge, the Rockler right. plywood challenge, as luck would have it. He came out. Um, another few people from WorkbenchCon were there. And yeah, it was cool just like getting to see a few people, shooting the SH, <laughs> doing a demo. I showed how to uh, how to make splayed tapered legs, which I had an hour to do it. And it takes me like five minutes to show how to do that. Oh, cool. So I basically just had like a volunteer come up and I walked them through the process and then had other people come up and try it and let them try to do it by memory, but would just kind of correct them if they were doing something wrong. And 
we got to test out a saw stop I was about on to purpose. Say. I, and I, I was the one who got to set it off with a, not a hot dog, but with a stick of string cheese. Wow. Oh. So apparently oh. string cheese it makes apparently. it go off too, huh? The oh, vegetarian yeah. <laughs> saw stop test. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. we didn't want to offend it, but now we just need to get a vegan one going. Yeah, it's just tofu, S- tofu. Yeah, just throw a <laughs> slab of tofu on there. Yeah, see if that conducts. Each time I did a, each time I've done appearances or whatever at Rockler openings, we've always done a sauce stop demo as well, and oh. no doubt, always the highlight every time. It's so much fun. It's a good time. Man. I've never actually seen it in person. Is it pretty loud? And it is. It's pretty loud. So yeah, and you know what. I'm not sponsored by Sauce Stop, Chris. You know, you are, so... I'm not sponsored you, you by them, but I have a Sauce Stop. You might not say what you want to say. I'm kidding. But all that to say, yes, whenever, the, whenever the blade drops, that that thing, like, really drops. It's, like, really jarring. Of course, oh, yeah. I would want it to drop quickly so that the blade would not cut my finger. Yeah. So it's it's all for good. But it really is something that when it happens in person, you're just like, whoa, what did I just see? Because it happens so quick, and it is, it, it's pretty jarring in an interesting way. Yeah. Yeah, like people always would, ask, especially people who are not familiar with the space, like if they, if for whatever reason I'm talking about it and it comes up or they saw it and they ask you and they're like, oh, and then like, do you just like pull it back up and then you can use the blade again? I'm like, no, it's not like, quite. it's pretty violent when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> like it definitely it worth it, it into a chunk of an aluminum. Yeah, definitely yeah. worth losing a blade over. I'll take it. All right. So uh, should we transition right now? Yep. Go for it. Yeah, definitely worth losing a blade over. Most definitely. All right, why don't we take a second to hear from a sponsor? The Modern Maker Podcast is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators. With more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more, you'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and career. Take classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, or even illustration. Whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side hustle, or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning, thriving, and reaching those new year goals. Yeah, a couple months ago, actually, I took a Skillshare course. It was called DIY Cinematography, Make Your Videos Look Like a Movie by Ryan Booth. Um, It was really beneficial for me. Like I mentioned in our New Year Goal episode, I wanted to step up my videos in general. So this was very beneficial to me, and I totally recommend it to anybody that wants to do the same. I've done a leatherworking one, Leatherworking Basics with Fitzy. It was fantastic. We were kind of holding off on doing leatherworking projects, but then we watched that Skillshare video. And we're like, oh, wait, we can do this. It's not that hard. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, when I first got into editing, I was coming from a different platform, so I wanted to bring myself up to speed real quick, and I used one to get the basics of Premiere, and it was super helpful. Sweet. So to join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today, With a special offer just for our listeners, you can get two months of Skillshare for free. So that's right. Skillshare is offering the Modern Maker Podcast listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, just go to Skillshare.com slash Modern Maker. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash Modern Maker to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Modern Maker. Say it three times for good luck. I was about to say, Chris, what was that one more time? Skillshare.com slash Modern Maker. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Skillshare. Genuinely, we appreciate the support. Back to the show. All right, we're back. Ben, what are we talking about this week? So because we've all been traveling and going to different uh, events, which is which is fantastic, we thought we'd talk a little bit about routine, the, the value of it, and what sort of happens and the chaos that ensues when it gets inevitably disrupted. So for myself, I'll kick it off. 
uh, you know, all this travel, WorkbenchCon, DC, and, you know, I think I still have a, about three or four more speaking gigs coming up over the next couple months have, uh, <laughs> they've definitely made it sort of disruptive for, you know, getting out content. I was, I'm excited about getting back to producing a lot of DIY project videos for homemade modern excited about sort of keeping, uh, up with the editing to get the series out for the modern home project. But, you know, all these events, which I, I look forward to, are, they're really fun. Uh, I get to meet new people, get new ideas. But it's almost like, you know, after about, two, you know, the, the third one in six weeks, I'm starting to kind of, oh, man, I wish I could just get back to that same monotonous routine of wake up, send a few emails, start building, uh, do a little bit of editing at night. Uh, work on some designs and then go to sleep. Like that, that boring routine that I used to do the same day uh, is now looking more and more appealing. So I thought we'd just talk a little bit about our routines, what we like about them, maybe where the sort of frustrating parts in them, and you know the the value of breaking them, but also the disruption that comes with it because it's definitely a double edged sword. When I go to something like WorkbenchCon, it's obviously a net positive because I get a ton of ideas. I get to have a lot of fun, but ideally I wish I could like schedule something like that once a quarter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so it was kind of <laughs> spread out. So like once every, you know, three months or so, I know that I'm doing this thing where I'm going to travel and I basically take that week off and, and do a lot of fun stuff. But it's when you got like, you know, when it's every third week you're, you're doing something different is where it gets a little bit crazy. Yep, because then you can't break up the schedule that often. Right. For you, Mike, it's been, you know, you're going back and forth to different work environments. Yeah. And, you know, and the two work building in California, then Oklahoma. Yeah. And the two work environments are definitely unique. One, you know, Maker Ranch is very, if you can imagine, maker oriented. Literally every room of the house we live in is dedicated to building or filming or something Editing. Yeah. around that. Podcasting. Yeah. Literally the living room is a photo studio. So like <laughs> it's it's built for it. And that's really awesome. Um, and so while I'm there, I'm productive and things really do tend to go smoothly. And when things don't go smoothly, we're set up so that there's always something to be doing. So even if the project you're supposed to be working on is, you know, curing, you know, whether it's there's something like paint drying on it or something like that, there's always something to be doing. But now that I'm here in Oklahoma, um, oh, and I should say while I am in Oklahoma, I typically stay with my parents. Um, I'm working in their garage kind of as my shop. It's the one that I built that whole garage storage system in. So it's functional to a point. Um, I've, I've cleaned it up. I've made it, you know, film worthy, but it's still not a shop and it's still not set up how I would want to. And it's all, it's all temporary things, right? I bring the saw horses out for the workbench. I set the lights up whenever I need them. But you know, when I'm done filming, they've got to go away because people have to park there. Um, and I'm working currently on another renovation project, like I alluded to earlier, um, so even doing a renovation project is really a whole different setup uh, compared to just a typical work, you know, woodworking flow. But but no, uh, the the two places definitely have a challenge. But it's it's weird weighing the options because the downside of one place has the upside of the other. Um, so as efficient and focused as Maker Ranch is, that's great. But occasionally. 
I don't want to be as focused. And so whenever I'm home and all of my friends who don't build things are there, uh, like we just hang out and we drink and we do what guys do, right? It's not as productive, but it's still fun. And so it's just trying to find that balance of both of them. Even at Maker Ranch is between Ben and me, like we can really get locked into what we're working on. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times we have to force ourselves to be like, yo, let's not do anything for a ch- few and just like chill and just talk about what we're doing um, or hang out or whatever. And so, yeah, it's something I'm trying to figure out the balance between. But what about you guys? Like, like Chris, going from working at home yeah. to working in a dedicated shop. How is that different? Is that like has the efficiencies just like quadrupled or were you already there before you moved into the new shop? I think that the af- the efficiency has definitely gone up, but the time or the am- total amount of time that I spend in the shop has gone down. So they've sort of offset one another. Oh, okay. And I think a lot of that just has to do with like, um, you know, there was, a, I was a, a lot more likely to like when it's in my garage to be like, okay, I'm working on something for four hours. It's dinner time. I'll go in, I'll eat dinner. I'm going to go back out and work on something for two more hours. I'm a lot less likely to go do that second two hours when it's, driving to the shop instead of just walking outside to the garage are you more are you more likely to spend just six hours and not take that break though or are you or are you more likely to still take that break and come home i'd say i'm i'm equally likely except that i'm less likely to have outside distractions pull me away from it like obviously you know i'll still i'm on the internet so i'll still get a message that i need to respond to an email whatever but it's I'm less likely to be like, oh, I'm going to run inside and grab a snack and then get distracted with something for 45 minutes or, you know, some Dolores needs my help with something inside or whatever. So those kind of distractions def- or the lack of those distractions definitely help to make me more efficient. Something that I noticed, I don't think I talked about this, but that kind of like taught me like, oh, I need to really set chunks of time aside to do things was when I was flying to Atlanta, I was like, oh, this will be a good time to organize all my footage and write my voiceover for, um, it was the Sosugi Bon project. And so normally doing that, like, just like, you know, I have all my footage, I put it all in the, the order that I want to show it in, get it subdivided into folders, write the voiceover. I usually spend like five to six hours doing that on the plane. It took me like two and a half hours. And I think it was just like, there, I wasn't on the internet, so I couldn't get distracted by an email. I couldn't get up from my seat. There was nothing else to do. And I just like powered through it. And I was like, man, I think I need to start implementing this more into my everyday workflow and just kind of in a, in a fake sense, just be like, this is what you're doing. You have no other, dis- unless the house catches on fire, there's no other distractions right now. Yeah. If you have like Outlook or any sort of like email service or, or, uh, interface where you can have all your emails downloaded, you know, and you don't have, let's say you're on a flight, like one of those terrible United ones that has terrible internet, shout out to United. Uh, you can, <laughs> you can download all your emails, write all your responses. And then when you do have internet, it, it sends them all. Um, like, yeah, I, I find the same thing that a plane, especially one without internet, like I get a lot of like written stuff done <laughs> for yeah. precisely the same reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, so going back to the the original question, though, having to do with like travel and, and disrupting your workflow and all that stuff, like I was thinking of basically with the Rockler things and with WorkbenchCon and then with next week, Johnny Brooks coming out for 
his two Rockler talks and then he's staying and we're all getting together and doing a collaboration. I was looking at that like month block of time is like, oh man, that's going to be like the lost month where there's so many other things going on. It's just going to be hard to, to get any work done. So I was, I like knowing that going in, I really tried to under schedule things, but that ended up not, not working out just because of a few other things that needed to get done at a certain time that were less out of my control. So I tried to keep myself to be like, I'm only going to do two videos in February, two videos in March, and like maybe by April I'll be able to ramp it back up. But it ended up like I'm doing three in March and I'm doing four, something that I said I never wanted to do again in wow. April. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be crazy. So the, the one... Here comes silver, another organizer, a, a tabletop organizer video. <laughs> I know. So my, uh, my silver lining is that I have only one thing left to do for March. But I want it to be a big thing. And so my plan is that I'm really going to try to like plan it out and get the bulk of the work done this week on it. Because then when you guys are in town next week, all of that time that we're going to spend producing, you know, we're each going to try to do kind of like a quick one day build. That was our our sort of plan going into it where it's an an all hands on deck situation. Um, That's not going to come out until April. So basically, I'm, I'm taking a block of time that I would be able to spend to stay on track for March and moving it to April which oh, yeah. in sense will make March very hard. But if I get through it, April will be a little bit easier because I already have one of the things that I needed to do for April done. Yeah, yeah that was so, something that being back home, uh, doing the tile video helped me a lot because Rachel and I were able to put all the tile on that wall in one day, get the before uh-huh. shots, get the after shots. Um, she's still going to do a little bit more to the bathroom, like paint and install a floating vanity. So I'm kind of just waiting to get those shots before I before I finish the edit. But uh-huh. I was able to get a one-day build out of the way. It gave me a little bit of breathing room so that now I've got that footage ready to go. So if there's ever, like, you know, if there's ever an emergency, I've got that footage and I can yeah. get a video out if I need it. Um, but it's allowing me to kind of focus on the bigger project that I'm home for and just feel a little bit less pressure. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's, it's funny. And listening to both you guys uh, sort of describe your own sort of what happens when you break from routine it there's this inevitable thing where i mean we all really love what we do and you know when we all get together at something like WorkbenchCon, the talk is like okay so this year i'm going to try to implement a little bit more of this everyone's sort of talking about the adjustments to their routine in the interest of efficiency people are talking about okay so i'm adding i'm hiring someone to edit the things for me and that's going to give me more time so i can produce this other kind of content uh, everyone's sort of where they're saying, oh, I'm expanding my workshop space so I can do more projects at once. You know, people are always talking about how to implement these, 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 these little rules or changes to make their, their sort of weekly or daily routines more efficient and get more out of their whatever their endeavor it is. But at the same time, when you look at, you know, how we think of other people, it's not through their routines, it's through some of their anomalous or most interesting projects or accomplishments. So, you know, it's it's not like we're thinking, you know, oh, each one of their things is like 15% uh, better, or I'm seeing a little bit more content from them. It's more like when I think of someone, I think of like their, their most memorable project. Um, so, Routine is absolutely essential as sort of the backbone of predictable efficiency and progress, but sometimes you can be so efficient that you exclude the opportunity for like something special to happen because you're so packed in, right? Like right. you're saying, oh, my schedule's filled. I can't go to that event where I actually get like three great tips that would would 
just from an information standpoint would totally improve what I'm doing. Um, so it's, it's really tricky to balance. Like I'm always, uh, and I think that's why for, for me now, it's just going to be something where I try to like make sure I, I have some of those moments scheduled in and some flexibility. I don't over schedule to where I don't have like a single free uh, week for like the next six months. Um, yeah. But it's hard too because the, the inherent, the inherent push is to try to like, oh, I love what I'm doing. There's, here's, here's a, if I, if I push myself a little bit harder, which I don't mind doing since I do enjoy it, I can get this many, this much more efficient. So you inevitably just kind of keep trying to cram more productivity in there. Right. But sometimes that's just not the best thing. I mean, like what we were talking about, Chris, uh, with a couple of people at WorkbenchCon to go back to that. Um, after, after we did our talk, we were talking, we were talking to a couple of people individually who are interested in doing content as well. And that was one of the things that we were trying to stress to to them was not so much, you know, we were stressing some sort of schedule and the stress there was stressing consistency. But the important thing is in, in whatever you're doing, whether you're making videos or you're, you're building things on your own, you're building things to sell, whatever that is is you want to make sure that what you're doing, you're doing it consistently and you could do it over a long term. But you also want to make sure that that isn't sacrificing the consistency of the video or the project that you're building also. Right, yeah. I, I think I remember the guy that we were talking about and the point I was making was like, don't let... I, I think he was trying to do like a weekly schedule thing and he was just starting and he was already saying that like he can see himself sacrificing some of the like bigger ideas that he has in Mm, order because he knows he can't do that in a week. And yeah, I was making the point that like, definitely don't do that. Like in the grand scheme of things, that's not going to matter. Like even just the way that YouTube works. Like if you look at anybody's channel, like it, what it does, it, it almost makes like a greatest hits for you of whatever it is that you're doing where like people are going to find you because of whatever video and then the next video it's going to recommend to them is not going to be the last video that you did and it's certainly not going to be the first video that you did which i think a lot of people put too much emphasis on that because they think like oh and then people are going to watch chronologically from the beginning it's like no like anybody who stumbles upon that first video of you has like dug through everything that you've ever done. It's basically going to recommend like, here's another video that this person did that the audience really responded to. So you should definitely like taking the time. If it means not doing something for three weeks, because you have this really great idea that you want to do first off, you should do it aside from there being any audience because it's what you want to do. And it's going to be more enjoyable for you to do that. And second of all, you're probably going to end up with, a better end result in doing that. And and that's going to be something that's going to be lasting and give you more benefit. So here's a question for you guys. And I think it, it draws onto the topic a little bit, but it, it, it's a little bit of a tangent. So assuming, you know, your route, you have a routine. So routine implies that you're putting priority on something. You're either prioritizing like efficiency or creativity or whatever that thing is. How do you prioritize your projects? Or how do you prioritize what you're going to do next when you are in your routine? I, I I like to have a lot of projects going, so that I so whichever way I look, there's an opportunity to be productive in some capacity, and right. then I sort of gravitate towards what I feel like doing the most that day. So a good example is this weekend is I have edit you know I have all the editing uh, going for the third episode of the Container House series. 
Uh, which being back home, there's there's quite a few people that I'm friends with. Like I was I was playing basketball last night, and there's about like seven people there that are all watching it. it they were all telling me about how dope the like Modern Home Project is. It's really interesting. And they're ready for episode three. I know. I there's there's pressure to get it to to get it out. It's interesting. It's it's performing so differently than homemade modern. Homemade modern, like the the video views fluctuate greatly from video to video. With this, it's like the first two are like exactly the same. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's great. That means anybody that's finding episode one is watching number two, or vice versa, right? Right, and it's it's totally changed the way I'm thinking about YouTube. This, uh, you know, I'm I'm yeah. really thinking of it as oh, I can produce a docu series a year, and that could be like a really fun thing to do as a way to sort of break that routine but still be productive. Um, no, but for me, it's like so. I have the the editing is like one area where I know it can be productive. I have the the glass deck. I have to finish up shooting some footage, but that's very weather dependent, um, and also sort of lighting. Like I want to get it on like the the a nice where a night where the clouds are moving, where I can do like a time lapse where you're seeing the clouds mirrored in the daytime against yeah. the glass deck, and then as it slowly fades to night, the light from the deck coming through. Right. So those that's one of those things where. Some some days it's too windy to film. Like the vibration right. from the thirty mile an hour winds are like they on a time lapse they'll make the camera really shaky. Um, yeah, you're just like waiting for that right moment, so exactly. you can't prioritize that particularly. Right. So, but you need to take advantage of it when it's there. Right. So it's a sort of an opportunistic uh, type of content. Um, right. Then I have a lot of design work for a new furniture line that I'm working on. That'll actually we're at. Uh, we're actually sort of in some talks to develop a for sale furniture line soon, um, right. and it's a it's a pretty cool opportunity, and we'll definitely uh, give some updates about it in in the future. And then uh, I'm working on a new kind of. I've been doing these bigger projects, so I want to get back to some really simple DIY projects. Um, so it's just, yeah. and I want to do them as sort of one day builds. So I'm kind of, uh, get all the materials and stuff like that. So I'll have these different buckets of sort of to-do lists for totally different things. And then based on, uh, oh, if I see that it's going to be good weather with no wind and nice light, I'll go film the, the, the glass deck. If, if the weather's crappy, I default to that. So I try to keep a lot of things because the, the most frustrating thing is when you feel like you have to do one thing. But that one thing is being delayed, and you're waiting for that part or something like that. So I'll try to keep multiple projects going. Inevitably, there'll be some pressure from a, a client or a brand or something like that. Um, and my solution to that is to always try to have a list with like three emergency projects that are kind of quick and easy, that if they do really push on that, and it is something where I want to take advantage of the opportunity, I can knock them out. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, so that way I don't feel like I have to rush and do something that I don't think is interesting. But if I have sort of three quick projects that I do think are sort of good enough, uh, I like to keep those in my back pocket. Yeah, I'm kind of similar. I like to have a couple things going, probably fewer things than Ben likes. Like I'd say my ideal situation is I have one thing that I'm working on in terms of building, uh, you know, one project that I'm working on in editing, and then maybe just like working on my ideas for upcoming projects in the extra little spare time. Yeah. One of the problems that that creates, though, is that then there's no time set aside for the sort of extracurricular or maybe like long-term things that I want to do. So things like plan sales or like 
really turning my website into a uh, more flushed out place that I could drive people to and that there's a reason for them to go to. A lot of those things end up falling on the back burner. So I should probably really try to carve out some time for those things. Something that I found though, is that like on days where I'm predominantly just editing and designing, even if I get a lot of work done, I have this weird feeling that I didn't get anything done. If I don't do at least like three hours of working on whatever the actual project is, I need that. And then anytime, even if it was, even if I just went in for like an hour and was like, Oh, I just needed to do this one glue up and, and get it clamped up so it can glue up overnight. And I just spent an hour doing that. Like at the end of the day, I feel so much more accomplished than if I didn't do that. I think because there's just like this whole mindset, which in in one way is true and in one way isn't true, that like without the projects and building things and filming yourself building things, the rest of this is all moot. Like none of the rest of this exists without that because it's the core of everything. And that doesn't mean that those other things aren't equally important because obviously if I was building the things and not editing them and putting them out there, there would be nothing for people to see either. Mm -hmm. But there's just this weird feeling that like I need to at least spend an hour, a couple hours building something each day in order to feel like I've had a productive day. Yeah. Do you ever take days off of building and just spend full edit days? Occasionally. Yeah. I'll do it if it's like, okay, I, it's, Monday right now and like I knew I I needed to have this video out on Thursday and like everything was ready to go yeah. I'd just be like okay all I'm doing today is just editing I'm getting it all done hopefully I can get it done by like midday Tuesday and then I can go start building something again but like I just need it to not be over my head right yeah totally what about long-term projects with you guys do you guys have those like back burner projects that you you don't really touch it very often but like you know maybe maybe you get around to working on it for like three hours every few weeks or anything like that because that's something that i don't do and i think a little bit of it is just kind of like space and i guess routine right those are the types of projects that you can really catalog them when you're busy but then bring them out when you're not uh and when you're in a routine i guess that's a little bit easier to do right yes i I have a couple of those and i think that a good back burner project the thing that i think makes it successful is is it readily accessible without getting in the way of everything else Yes. It needs yeah. to be something like I like outdoor back burner projects <laughs> where it doesn't have to be take up shop space or, or anything like that. The The other type of back burner project that might be uh, a good one would be one where you know you're going to have to really work through a lot of things. So something that you might have to figure out like 10 iterations of. Um, so f- for for us, it was like the the weed joint rolling machine uh, was like one where we made like four or five mock-ups before we kind of got it all working to where it could seamlessly roll a very nice joint. Um, yeah. I think that's the key to it is, you know, something small that doesn't take up a lot of space that you can really, but one that needs to be precise that you need to iterate through. And you can just be like, oh, I'm going to try to get at least one iteration and improvement done a month. That could yeah. be a great way to develop like a new product um, with like a 3D printing project or something like that. 3D printing in, in, in general is a great way to do a back burner project because uh, you might make a few adjustments to a model that only take a few minutes and then you can set prints overnight or something like that. Um, and sometimes those prints don't come out as planned. So you got to set them again. Um, what if uh, what if <laughs> Ben failed miserably on his 
his joint rolling machine, but like he didn't want to lose face. So he still puts out a video and he's like, Hey guys, here it is. And it's clearly just him in silver painted boxes as a robot, just rolling them. (laughs) (laughs) That just needs to happen either way. Yeah. (laughs) That's the intro. So that project's done. We're actually just working with YouTube to figure out how to launch the content responsibly. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. So they're actually uh, helping us develop a set of standards for for dealing stuff like that. That you know, uh, with the right disclaimers and things like that, uh, so we can publish it in a way that doesn't piss off the internet. Things that aren't illegal but are prone to getting striked. Exactly. Um, Understandably. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that I, th- I think a backburner project is great, but. A backburner project can be a nightmare if it compromises your day-to-day efficiency <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and is exactly. eating up a lot of, especially space. Uh, hmm. I, I, even people with huge shops start to, <laughs> they get too many backburner projects and that, that space gets tight real quick. Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. No joke. Speaking of organization projects earlier, yeah, exactly. That's cool. So what are you guys obsessed with? I'm going to bring it to here. Um, I got a I'm good one. bring it to here. I got a good one. Okay, let me say that again. <laughs> Okay. Nice. So what are you guys obsessed with now that we haven't since... Oh, f- I'm going to go one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Emily. Emily's... The person that's editing our podcast now is named Emily. So if I ever apologize Hi, Emily. to Emily, that's our editor. Um, so anyways. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. Well, what are you guys obsessed with? Uh, since we haven't talked in a couple weeks, I feel like we've had a little bit of time to maybe check out some new content or see a new show or... Uh, or something along those lines. In fact, I've got something that I want to bring up, but I want you guys to talk first because I have to find it first. All right, I got um, one. That's not even content related. It, it's it's furniture related. Okay, I got a good one. It's from Ursus Workshop on Instagram. U-R-S-U-S Workshop. And he made a Egyptian-type lock out of wood. And it's really simple, but it's very cool. And the way he made the video to explain... Uh, how it actually all works is is pretty cool as well. So check that out. Ursus Workshop on Instagram. I've got one that... Actually, it's just something that I tried. So um, last Saturday after the Torrance Rockler meetup, that's kind of out in the area where our buddy Cutworks, Eric, lives. Mm-hmm. You know, the very, very good welder. I was going to call him a master welder, but I don't know if that's like some kind of classification that you need to earn. So I'll say a very, very, very good welder. I went out to his shop and he gave me a little crash course in welding. I've never welded anything before. So he, in preparation for me to come, he cut out a bunch of little like three by three thin metal pieces. And we were just going to weld up like a small box. Um, and he actually had me start with, let me make sure I get this right. Tig, not MIG. So TIG would be like the more fine one, right? Yes. Where you're okay. Yeah. So that's that's how I was trying to remember. TIG, tidy, MIG, messy. That works, yeah. Yeah. Works, right? Okay, so we started with TIG, but not doing it where you're like feeding the wire in and like filling it in. That's like too advanced for where we were. But like I was working the foot pedal and everything. And so we would start by just like tacking the box in three spots so that it was held together and then just like trying to run that line along the whole thing um and it was funny because like so that was the first thing i ever tried and i was like i always hear people talk about like oh yeah metal work and like welding like it's super messy and i was like this seems not messy at all like it's all very controlled and it's just like a fine little thing that you're working along the line and um yeah it's pretty fun like i felt like i did a decent job like decent enough to feel like 
it's something that I could get into and do. So we did that at first and then we switched over and tried MIG just a little bit, just so I could like get some hands on time doing both. Um, and I, I was asking him a bunch of questions like why, in which situations would you want to do either and whatever. But I feel like for furniture and for the type of stuff that I like to do, I probably would lean more towards TIG. Yes. So yeah. I don't know. It was, it was really fun and definitely something that I, I want to get into at some point here. Did it, did it open up any particular project ideas or was it just a general kind of like just exposure to welding? Uh, yeah, not like a specific project, but kind of, I think you even mentioned it before, like how I like to do things that are very frail looking that like mm-hmm. a lot of them would not be possible out of wood, but the metal is strong enough to make those sorts of like skinny lines that need to also be structural that I would like to do. So once I got a little bit more confidence and like knew I was ready to go and do it, then those, I think that would open up a whole new world of of different sorts of aesthetics. Yeah, I would I would really be interested in seeing what what you make incorporating welding. I think it would be really, really great. Um yeah, I just think your your design sense lends itself to uh, lends itself to welding in general. Yeah, that's I think that's all I, that's all I'll say. No more compliments. Nicely said. Take them um, back. <laughs> so my obsession this week is something I found on Pinterest, and I'm just going to shout out Pinterest. Um, some people hate on it because they have bad Pinterest feeds. All I'm going to say is you need to work better at making good boards because Pinterest literally feeds me. So many good ideas. Yeah. It's absurd. Like the the algorithm that Pinterest has for curating a feed is so good if you take the time uh, to develop it. Um, but all that to say, there is a line or collection of furniture that um, that has just been released in collaboration between Norm Architects, which is an architecture firm, and then a furniture design and manufacturing company called Karamoku. They came out with a few pieces, a few dining tables, a sofa, a chair, and some other pieces. And all of them were really great. You can find it by searching Architect Meets Karamoku, K-A-R-I-M-O-K-U. Some cool pieces. Nothing that I think is going to like rock your world like you've never seen before, but it's good, clean design with really nice material choice. And I always love seeing that. Nice. Oh, you know what else I have to shout out? Beechwood. I never used beechwood before. Yeah. Have you guys ever tried it? Not at all. Dude, I love this stuff. It may have worked its way up into like my top four woods. Wow. It's very, it's a nice light color. It's very homogenous, like plain looking. Right. It is really light though. That's what I know about it, right? It's it's relatively cheap. It's not too soft, like in terms of getting dented or anything. It's just really lightweight. It's hard. No, it's well. I don't know. I got some big pieces, so mine are heavy. Okay, I'd have I'll have to get some thinner ones to compare to other things. But um, it's I like it a lot. Yeah, I I've used it. I used it a lot for those uh, test pieces where I inlaid it with grout. I mm-hmm. it, it's weird. It's available at a lot of uh, SoCal Home Depots. Um, oh, but it's. I, never even noticed that. I think what I like about it is that it, it's in between walnut and maple. But uh, it's not quite as like yellowy as as maple, or as sort of honey colored. It's a mm-hmm. little bit lower saturation, but not nearly as dark as walnut. Yeah, right. And actually, I don't know anything about the strength of it, but I'm just gonna guess that it's on the stronger sides because that's what they make dominoes out of. Oh, oh yeah, well, if it's sense. strong enough. Oh, you mean like festool dominoes? Festool, not yeah. plain not, dominoes, not bones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because I was going to say, 
Yeah, it's got to be plastic. Plastic. Slam those things down, man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so I'm going to give one more obsession before we close up the show, and it is an artist, an illustrator named uh, Kim Becker. You can find her on Instagram at Kim, K-I-M, Becker, B-E-C-K-E-R, design. She, she She's really great at drawing. I enjoy her Instagram feed a lot. And she draws a lot of things that are Lord of the Rings related, but not too corny or on the nose. Um, mm. So if anybody's a fan of that sort of thing, just go look at the feed. You'll really get a, get a joy out of it. That was a terrible nice. sentence, but I'm running Get a joy. It. You'll get a joy It'll- out of it. It'll spark some joy. Yeah, it'll spark joy in you. Hey, if it sparks joy on, in you, then that's all that matters. And you know what sparks okay. joy in us? A five-star review five-star on reviews. the podcast app. Um, as much as I hate the fact that I just said that, um, it really does, <laughs> it genuinely does help. Uh, if you got the time and you're willing to do it, we really appreciate it. All you need to do is go to your podcast app. If you have an Apple phone, find us, give us a review. We love it to be five stars. Give us a topic suggestion in there. Give us a constructive criticism, whatever you prefer. Um, But all it does is just let that app know that we're a good show and that they should suggest us to people that listen to similar content. Um, If you're not following us on Instagram, you can do that. I am at Modern Builds. Chris is at Four Eyes Furniture. And Ben is at Benjamin Ueda. Um, Collectively, we're at Modern Maker Podcast. And you can find all of our amazing Maker Brand Co. products at MakerBrandCo.com get the best finish in the game and the strongest clamps in the game thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time on the modern maker podcast bye everybody later bye